Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.com.au and ask us. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Hi, this is Dr. Joe. Melissa and I have been completely overwhelmed with the responses that we've had from our first couple of podcasts. We've had hundreds of emails and we're really struggling to answer all of them. So what we've decided to do is occasionally give you a little bit of a pop-up podcast where we look into what you're actually asking and providing you with a few answers. Today's first pop-up podcast is therefore going to focus on just men's health generally and in particular the anatomy of the pelvic floor, the urological system and also the mechanics of the penis and erections. So me as the physiotherapist I'll be focusing on the pelvic floor and giving you an Anatomy 101 lesson that you can do in the privacy of your own home, bed, shower, car, wherever you might be. And then Melissa's going to do similarly with the mechanics of penile function and erections. After that, we're going to be introducing psychologist Patrick Lombroso, as he explores the topic of erectile dysfunction in prostate cancer and why things like nerve sparing are really important. He's going to be introducing a urological doctor from the US who pioneered something called the Vibirect, a system to help with penile vibration. Over the um, podcast pop-ups that we do into the future, we hope that we'll be able to give you a lot more direct information so you get to better understand exactly what's going on in your own boy bits. Dr. Joe Milios, and we're going to be having a little bit of anatomy lesson, especially focusing on all the boy bits that most men may not be so familiar with in terms of correct terminology or even positioning. So let's have a start. Wherever you are, if you're lying, sitting, or standing, I just want you to very gently place your hand on your belly. Next, place your thumb on your navel and just see where your little finger then rests. It'll probably rest on the pubic bone and that's a bone at the front of your bony pelvis. Between the pubic bone at the front and the coccyx at the back is a big sling of muscle known as the pelvic floor. And the pelvic floor has many, many functions. It helps to support the bladder, the bowel and all the abdominal organs. It's involved in emptying our body waste through the urinary valve or sphincter to empty the bladder at the front. And then the rectal or anal sphincter from the back to empty the bowel waste. So the pelvic floor holds everything in, empties everything out, but also is involved with breathing, posture, and also core strength for looking after our lower back and um, abdominal muscles. Beyond that, we have, of course, the penis, the testes, and the sac, known as the scrotum. And that external or outside area known as the perineum, which is basically the outside area of the pelvic floor. 
Deep inside, guys also have the bladder and then the prostate, which is immediately below the bladder and then links in to the pelvic floor by something called the urinary sphincter. So the bladder has an internal automatic sphincter known as the bladder neck sphincter and then an external pelvic floor urinary sphincter. When men have problems with their prostate, such as prostate cancer, where they need surgery to remove the prostate, or enlargement of the prostate, which ends up taking a lot of space and can really contribute to flow problems, then guys often need to know about strategies such as medicine or exercise um, or surgeries to help improve their prostate function. Sometimes men have pain in the perineum, testes or penis, and this can all be sometimes referred to as prostatitis. Recently, we've learned that not so many men actually have true prostatitis. And in fact, there can be problems with the pelvic floor, the spine, or a whole range of things in that area known as the pudendal nerve. This is a nerve that's the nerve to the private parts, which supplies the bowel, bladder, and sexual function. It also provides the sensation, so any pain can mean potentially there's impact on the pudendal nerve, particularly in the area known as the sacroiliac joint, where it comes down from the sacrum and spine and leads into the pelvic area. So boys, it's really important to know what your anatomy is, what you have, and I thoroughly recommend that every month, just like girls have to do, that you get a little bit in tune with yourself. Why not make it the first of every month? Get familiar with what your penis and testicles normally feel like. Is there a change? Is there any pain? Have you noticed any sign of change in your erectile function, your ability to orgasm or hold on to erection or even pooing and peeing problems? Has there been any changes to flow, the ability to empty or stop or start your bladder or the bowel? Have you suddenly had a bit more constipation or maybe even some bleeding from the rectum? So many simple things can be addressed early things like hemorrhoids or simple cysts in the testes, which don't necessarily mean you've got anything seriously wrong or sinister. But it's early recognition that we need to focus on. Get familiar with your body, your boy bits, know what's normal for you, and then once a month just take two or three minutes to have a good check and feel. If anything changes from one month to the next, be sure to go visit your doctor and get a general checkup. Simple blood tests such as a PSA or prostate-specific antigen are worthwhile from the age of 40 if there's been any history of prostate cancer. But most men from the age of 50 are encouraged to have this blood test annually. If there's any concern with the blood test, doctors will generally then provide a digital rectal examination or that finger test. Now, most guys who attend a GP will only need the blood test, but if there's any concerns with the blood test, then traditionally there's an opportunity to go and then have a follow-up referral to a urologist who will provide a few more tests, including the DRE. However, many, many things can go wrong with the whole pelvic area in men. And one thing that I've learned, which completely astonished me, was in fact that if a man notices any change in his penile function, that is, deformity or bending or reduced blood flow in any way that's not normal for you, it could indicate that there's a problem with your heart or cardiovascular system. So a common phrase that I like to use is that your heart health and your heart health are very linked. 
In fact, from research we know there's a three-year window of opportunity to address any issues such as Peyronie's disease, which is a bend in the, uh, in the penis, which could potentially be linked to heart disease. So boys, if you've got concerns with your blood flow in your penis, you've got the opportunity to maybe have a bit of a mirror to what's going on in your heart vessels. Simple things like coronary calcium score tests can also be provided to just check what your heart arteries are doing. And this can save potentially a cardiac event such as a heart attack occurring some years later. So tune into your body, scan it, know what's normal for you and get familiar with the body parts that every man should know a little bit about. All over the world, men live an average of five years less than women. And this is potentially because of things like prostate cancer or uh, suicide becoming catastrophic events because men actually leave things a little bit longer than they probably should have to address and seek help for. So it's a responsibility for every man to have a chat to his brother, son and mates and any other male relative to just share this know yourself. Get in tune with your own body, keep an eye on things and go to the doctor if you've got any concerns. It's never silly or stupid to ask for a second opinion other than your own. Don't Google things and panic. Go to the doctor, get the simple test done and most of the time you'll be pleasantly surprised it's a really simple explanation or solution to your problem. Okay guys, as I like to say, prost or cheers to your own health. Signing off. Hi, Melissa here. I thought that today we'd talk about penis anatomy and we'd just talk about how it works in plain English. So there's lots of names for penises. Chubby, boner, fat, dick, pecker, doodle, old mate, knob, wang, and my personal favourite, willy. So basically, the good old willy is just made of three cylinders, two which laid side by side, like skinny cigars. They're actually called the corpora cavernosa, which is a bit of a mouthful, so let's just stick with cigars. They fill up with blood when you get an erection, and then there's another third chamber that lies below these and is the home of the urethra or the P-tube. This cylinder also gives rise to the glands or the head of the penis. The cigars are surrounded by one of the most flexible tissues in the whole body, and it's called the tunica. It's very, very strong and very, very flexible. The tunica and the cylinders inside fill with blood when you get an erection, and they can expand up to five times their original size. As they do this, they become hard like a tyre under pressure. Fortunately, they never can overfill and they certainly won't pop like a tyre. The prostatic plexus is a large bundle of nerves which hugs the prostate like Mickey Mouse ears. It's located in the prostate's fascial shell, which is a layer of connective tissue. These nerves have a really important job of transmitting the messages from your big head to your little head to get the blood pumping into the shaft of the penis. Blood pumps into the penis via the large branch of a pudendal artery and veins drain the blood from the corpora cavernosum, the cigars, to the body via the efferent vein. When the penis is full of blood, it pinches the veins shut, like shutting the doors. And it's just like parking your car on a garden hose. And so the blood can actually stay in the shaft of the penis. A fact you might not know about your penis is that it actually goes all the way back into your body as far as the dangly bit is outside. So it's like an iceberg. 
So when you actually tell someone that the size of your penis is double what you can actually see, you're actually not telling a fib at all. The penis arteries are some of the smallest in the body. They have one millimetre in diameter. The arteries feeding the heart are five times bigger, so it explains why as men age and the blood vessels get narrower, erections become more difficult. This is why having a change in your penile function is a warning sign to get checked out from your GP for other issues. So think of your penis as a canary down the mine shaft. For those of you who don't know this story, in 1913, a very clever man thought it would be a good idea to put canaries in the mine shafts where men were working because it would detect carbon monoxide levels and other toxic gases. And therefore, because canaries were more susceptible to them, if the canary became unwell or dropped dead, then they'd know that it was time to get the men out of the mine and um, flush some fresh air through there. So this is the same with your penis. When you've got a problem with it, think of it as a warning sign. If things aren't working properly down there, you really need to take a trip to your GP and get things sorted out and make sure that your heart's healthy and everything else. And then secondary, we can fix your erections. And I think it's really important to know that, you know, penile health is important for your physical health and also your mental health. So if you do have problems down there, don't be embarrassed to ask someone for help. Just go and get some. Thanks. I'll catch you guys later. As we always like to introduce a man whose name starts with P, it seems absolutely appropriate to introduce you to my dear, dear friend and recently passed away colleague, psychologist Patrick Lombroso. Now, Patrick was an extremely special man. He was dedicated to the psychology of men undergoing erectile dysfunction and in particular had a passion for men undergoing treatment for prostate cancer. During my time doing a PhD, I attended many conferences across Australia and seemingly there was this big, noisy, Italian, Jewish man always in my corner. You see, not many people actually specialise in talking about penises and erectile dysfunction when you're not a doctor or a urologist. But Patrick and I, there we were, seemingly bumping into each other month after month, year after year, and we couldn't help but have a chat to one another. What I found was the most incredible human being. And he became my friend and my mentor. Our very first conversation actually started with him saying, Joe, I don't feel like I'm on Mars anymore. You speak my language and I speak yours. And boy, are we going to be good friends. Sadly, Patrick was diagnosed with a brain tumour in 2016. Although he battled for about 16 months, <clears throat> he actually had a really tough time because he had the type of brain tumour called glioblastoma, which has not very good odds to survive. However, Patrick allowed me to interview him for three hours a couple of months before he did pass away. So throughout our podcast series, from time to time, you'll hear Patrick's voice. Patrick was passionate, loud, funny, and sometimes a little rude, but that's what I mostly adored about him. Patrick's family have allowed me to reintroduce Patrick's work. You see, Patrick didn't get to finish his PhD and what he was doing was trying to focus on relationships and couples undergoing um, treatment for prostate cancer and how their sexual lives were affected. Along the way, I've since found out that Patrick did a number of his own little podcasts and I'm going to share with you some of his work as we go, including his own interviews with health professionals. I'll also be adding uh, segments from time to time of that three-hour workshop 
that Patrick and I did together in 2017. Patrick and I had many conversations. He lived in Sydney and I live in Perth. His very last conversation was actually when he was very unwell. He was literally screaming at me, Joe, Joe, your work in Peroni's disease is going to change the world. You need to patent it. You need to copyright it and even make some money for yourself out of it. Patrick was a passionate man. I said to him, Patrick, my main interest is not to make money here, although I could hear what he was trying to share with me. My main passion, as was his, I explained, was for education purposes. And to be honest, nothing really makes me happier than to share Patrick's voice. So you're going to get a little bit of that today, and I promise more and more and more is going to come your way. So in dedication to Patrick, our pop-up podcasts will often feature him. So feel free to have a listen and look up any of his work. And he does have a few papers which we can share that didn't quite get to finish the whole complete series. But this is my way of making sure we continue to acknowledge the passion and the drive of this wonderful man, Patrick Lombroso. Patrick was born in 1965 and passed away on September 11th, 2017. I'm sure he chose that day because it was already a memorable day so that we would never, ever forget him. So this is my way of continuing to share his brilliant work, his brilliant mind, but most importantly, his voice. So introducing Patrick Lombroso professionally. Patrick liked to call himself a sexual rehabilitation therapist and he established the Man Focus Psychology Clinic in Sydney in New South Wales, Australia. Patrick, as I uncovered, actually had started to interview many leading professionals working in erectile dysfunction. And I wanted to introduce you today a YouTube that he has available if you just look up his name, Patrick Lombroso. We're going to share with you an interview he did with Dr. and Neurologist and Neurological Researcher, Dr. Cambys Tash Karini. Here, Patrick explores the concept of erectile dysfunction and penile rehabilitation as it applies to men undergoing radical prostatectomy. However, this information is very general at the beginning of the YouTube and so applies to every man or any man with a man in his life, as we always say. Feel free to also review the YouTube at the end of this series, which is another 33 minutes, which will be added to the show notes. Over to you, Patrick. All right, so joining us from his home in the United States today is a distinguished doctor, urologist, and urological researcher, Dr. Kombiz Tashkarimi. Dr. Tashkarimi, uh, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me today. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Doctor, could you tell us a little bit about your background and about your work in the area of urology and urological research? Yes, I, I am a urologist in uh, Frederick, Maryland. I trained uh, at the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. I work um, in general urology. However, my focus is prostate cancer treatment as well as sexual medicine. I am a member of the Sexual Society of North America and International Society for Sexual Medicine. And my research focuses mainly on 
um, treatment of erectile dysfunction, especially after prostate cancer treatments, as well as uh, ejaculatory dysfunction in men with spinal cord injury. I'm wondering if you can tell us, uh, right around the world, literally millions of men, in- including men in their 30s and 40s now, are, are being diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer. Now, what's fairly well known is that most of these men who are treated you know, through uh, radical prostatectomies and, and otherwise, most of these men are going to, uh, going to develop severe and chronic erectile dysfunction. W- why is that? Well, uh, that's a very good question. Um, as you're aware, um, erectile function is a nerve-generated event. There are uh, uh, two very important nerves that run right next to the prostate as they travel from the spinal cord to the penis. These nerves are responsible for initiating um, you know, um, activities within the penis during sexual excitation to provoke uh, dilation or uh, the blood vessels from to open up and allow the penis to fill with blood. Uh, these nerves are so close to the prostate then that any type of treatment, including surgery, radiation, or freezing, uh, can uh, damage these nerves. Now, our technique in the past 30 years has improved greatly, where we're now able to do the procedure in a much more careful way to identify the nerve structures as best as possible. But even with the best technique, we still have a problem with um, making the nerves to be fully functional after surgery. That's why a lot of men develop uh, temporary or permanent erectile dysfunction after surgery or radiation. I'm, I'm just wondering if you could explain in layman's terms what is required for an erection to take place? Because from what I understand, it's not just simply a matter of blood just rushing into the organ. It's quite a complex reaction, isn't it? Exactly. All the stars need to line up for a successful erection to occur. It, it's, a, it's a hormonal, neurological, blood, uh, hem- you know, uh, every system needs to work perfectly well for erections to occur. Erection is a neurovascular event. That means that the nerves of our body, um, they excite a specific center in your spinal cord that receive information from the brain and from the penis. And let's say that you, uh, a patient or a person is, is smells a very nice, uh, you know, um, sexual scent or a touch of a woman or uh, any type of stimulation. Something uh, that leads to physical arousal, you're saying? Exactly. Arousal. Physical yeah. arousal leads to a cascade of neurological events, nerve events, that send signals to the penis to the, for the blood vessels to open up and allow the penis to enter. This is a very important part one of erection. The part two of erection is that the nerve, that the blood vessels as they fill the penis, they should be prevented from leaving the penis. So the blood is trapped for several minutes after excitation and adequate blood filling. So the blood is trapped and rigidity occurs. And this is uh, in many men who have developed erectile dysfunction, either there's a problem with filling or preventing the blood from leaving the penis. It could be vascular disease, diabetes, 
or venous dysfunction where the the as many men cannot obtain rigidity no matter how much Viagra or Cialis they take because the blood fills and immediately leaves so they cannot obtain rigidity. So you've mentioned um, that it's a, a neurological, it's a nerve condition as well as um, uh, you know, a, a physiological or a condition where the, where the, I should say, the, the blood is filling up to the, to the penis. If we link that back then to a prostatectomy, a radical prostatectomy, where is the disconnect there? Why isn't the equipment working? Well, multiple studies in the past few decades at great centers in the U.S. and around the world have shown that uh, after uh, surgery, the nerves... Uh, develop neuropraxia, which is a fancy word for them to go to sleep. And the penis requires these nerves to constantly stimulate nighttime erections. And if these nighttime erections do not occur, the penis is basically not receiving enough uh, nutrients and uh, is not able to receive adequate oxygenation at nights, which is a you know part of our male physiology is to develop nighttime non-sexual erections. The penis is always in a, in a hungry and a, in a, a hypoxic state, which is a, you know, a word for lack of oxygen. So in men after prostatectomy, the first problem is lack of nerve function. But if there is no adequate oxygenation for uh, several months, the penis muscles, the muscles of the blood vessels develop degeneration, they basically start, you know, becoming dysfunctional and they start uh, not working well. And men subsequently developed venous dysfunction, is, which is even when the nerves come back, they still cannot get a good erection because they now they have a problem with, with blood not wanting to stain the penis. So, so I, so I understand that they get problems in terms of scarring as well if, if you're not having erections. and uh. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the scarring has been shown in animal studies and in, uh, in several human studies that basically the penile tissues develop uh, atrophy or uh, the smooth muscles die. And this is where the concept of penile rehabilitation it comes into effect. And this is a controversial issue where whether... You know, does penile rehab really do anything anyways? And in my opinion, it really does. Uh, by starting to stimulate and doing everything possible to allow nighttime filling of the penis and even daytime filling of the penis, you can prevent uh, progressive deterioration of the muscles and the health of the penis itself. I think there's a bit of confusion out there amongst men who... They've gone and they've had uh, prostatectomy surgery. Some have paid, you know, very big dollars to have had robotic surgery. And they've come out of surgery and they say, well, you know, we've had full nerve sparing. So, you know, I understand that my nerves are fine. What, what isn't clear amongst a lot of these men is why there is nerve damage if, if the doctor or the urologist has claimed that the nerves themselves were spared. Can you just give us a little bit of information as to what's happened there? Well, you're asking a secret uh, among the urologists that I'm going to share with you. We really don't know how much nerve we're going to spare. I perform about two to three prostatectomies a week, and uh, I do them robotically, and I, did them, I used to do them open as well. 
it is not the robot or open, it's the, uh, the technique of the surgeon. You can still have fantastic results with open surgeons. It's the experience of the surgeon. But return of sexual function depends on three factors. The age of the patient, the uh, pre, uh, pre-surgery uh, sexual function, and also how much nerve sparing the surgeon thinks that they did. You know, they, if a male has a surgery at the age of 45, his return of sexual function is going to be different than someone who is, has it when he's 75. And obviously, if someone has excellent sexual function before surgery, most likely will have better uh, return of function than someone who is already dependent on Viagra 100 milligrams for a, uh, not a very strong erection. The nerve sparing is dependent on the lack of excessive pulling, burning, and stretching of the areas that we think the nerves are located. However, even with perfect technique, the, these nerves are going to go to sleep. So the, your, uh, your listeners need to understand the following. If the surgeon says, I did bilateral nerve sparing, your erections are not going to come back for several months. You just have to accept it. It's like a cyclist or a runner who, you know, who trips on, this, on the road and breaks his ankle is not going to start running again in, for several months. And that's exactly what's happening in prostatectomy. You're not going to have erection for several months. So just accept it and focus on several months from now, am I going to do everything that I can to get back to normal? Dr. Joe here. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We aim to release one podcast per fortnight, so please keep in touch so you know when new podcasts are being released. Also, be sure to check out the show notes below so that we can all keep the conversation going. He's getting harder to see More and more along for that light Of warm afternoons Campfires and bars Smoking bark in a cubby up a tree Try to